Welcome. 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 Welcome to Batavia Covenant Church. A reading from God's Word. First passage is Exodus 24, 12 through 18. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here. And I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua, his aide, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and her are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered as he went, up, went on up the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain for forty days and forty nights. Second passage is Matthew 17, verse 1 through 9. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Today is a pivotal day for our church, Uh, perhaps related to the campaign, but what I'm actually referring to is where we are in the church year right now. Uh, Today is a pivotal day in the season of the church life where we are moving from the season after Epiphany into a season of Lent. And today is Transfiguration Sunday, the story that Drew read for us about Jesus bringing his three disciples up the mountain where they beheld God's glory, uh, just, just exposed for them to see in a way that they'd never seen before. So as we as a church pivot... From one season to another, the season of Lent, which is a season of preparation for Easter, that we might be ready to celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, I want us to to, uh, reflect on what a pivotal moment this mountaintop experience was for the disciples. Many of us have had so many different pivotal moments in our lives. We may look back on days of our lives uh, that that were significant. Uh, Days of marriages or engagements or days of of graduations or or a job offer or whatever. Days where where something shifts and, and, and you say, my life will never be the same after this moment. 
There's, there's a shift in orientation. There's a shift in understanding that leads us into a new place. And sometimes these pivotal days, pivotal moments, seasons even, come with less fanfare than a big celebration. Sometimes it's, it's a conversation with a close friend that clarifies something. Maybe it was a conversation with, with, with a friend who led you to Christ or a, a family member who led you to Christ and you say, that, that day didn't look like much from the outside, but it was a fundamental shift, a fundamental change in my life. The disciples were in the midst of a fundamental change in their lives as they went to the mountain together. It was a pivotal, uh, pivotal moment for the disciples when six days before this mountaintop experience, Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks for the disciples and he says, Jesus, we believe that you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. It was, it was a realization. It was a deepening of their understanding. But it was a pivotal moment in the sense that Jesus says, basically, yes, you're right. And, let me find this spot here. This was revealed to you not by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And, and then Jesus begins to explain to the disciples what's about to happen. That he's going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to suffer many things at the hands of the elders. He's going to be killed and then on the third day raised to new life. Well, this wasn't in the disciples' mindset, their understanding of what it meant to be Messiah. No, they were expecting a, a, a ruler to come in with much fanfare. They were not expecting a defeat. They were not expecting death. And so this sends them spinning. And Peter pulls aside Jesus to, to tell him, I think you're wrong here. Stop talking about dying. You're the Messiah. You're supposed to save us. And, and what, is, what does Jesus say? It's the only time he calls his uh, disciples uh, uh, any horrible name. He says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You don't have the things of God in mind. You have the things of this world. You have the things of your father, Satan, in mind. Jesus says, no, you, you don't understand. And actually, to really understand what it means to follow me, you've got to lean into this. Because then he start, gives him a hard teaching about discipleship. He says, if anyone who wants to follow me has to pick up their cross daily. Anyone who wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. This is a hard teaching. Threw the disciples for a loop. They were confused. They didn't know what was happening. Things were changing under their feet. They weren't sure what was going on. And so then Jesus leads them to the mountaintop. His closest disciples, Peter and James and John, and leads them up the mountain. And there God, Jesus gives them a glimpse into what God is doing in a way that, that they had never seen before. He wanted them to know and, and to have this experience of God on the mountaintop. If you know much about the Old Testament, you know the mountaintop is a pivotal place for a lot of people. The mountaintop, as we heard in the book of Exodus, was a pivotal place for even the nation of Israel. As Moses went up and got instructions, this is, this is the way you're going to live. This is how you're going to be my people. The mountaintop is a pivotal place. But it's not just a place where we gain additional understanding, as the disciples realize. They, what they find there is not just a deepening of understanding. They find actually an experience of God. 
Some of you know uh, what, what I'm talking about here. Uh, there, there's there's, there's a, a, a sense where we can be in church for a lot of our lives, and we can know a whole lot about who God is. We can have even a pretty deep understanding about God and theology and the Bible. Did you know there are some scholars, biblical scholars, who are actually atheists? They know a whole lot about God and about the text. But they haven't experienced God. You see, to understand things about God is one thing. But to go to the mountaintop and experience the power of the presence of God is something altogether different. Now, the two aren't unrelated because the disciples come down from the mountaintop with a deeper understanding of what God was doing. But you can't encapsulate what happens on the mountaintop in just understanding. What did happen on this mountaintop? As the disciples came up, Jesus' appearance was transformed. We see the glory of God emanating from the essence of who he is. The, 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 the curtain is peeled back, if you will. They get to see what's actually happening. The glory of God walking around with them in, in, in the shape of Jesus. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as bright as light. His, his, his face shone like the sun. The glory of God is revealed. Moses and Elijah join him there, and they're talking with him. Moses and Elijah, both who had uh, their mountaintop experiences, you can dig into the Old Testament and read those. But here they represent the law and the prophets, all that's spoken before. So that the, the disciples would know Jesus is, is fulfilling the plan that God has laid out. He is the Messiah who God has prepared for. Moses and Elijah who both know the, knew the intimacy of the, the presence of God here on the mountain. Peter doesn't know what to say, the other gospel writers tell us, so he says something about building shelters. He recognizes, it's, it's, he's pointing to the festival of booths, which points ahead to the coming harvest, the day when God will restore all things. He, he, he has a little bit of a handle of what's going on here. God is doing something incredible. But the other gospel writers tell us he didn't know what to say. He was, he was afraid. And then the voice of God speaks there on the mountain. Can you imagine to hear the voice of God speak? This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. The exact same thing that, Jesus, or that God spoke about Jesus at his baptism. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And then God adds two words in the Greek. Listen to him. Listen to him. Even though you may not fully understand what he's trying to say, even though this, this teaching about suffering doesn't seem to square with your understanding of who the Messiah is meant to be, would you listen to him? Now we can talk about all these things and understand how they point to things in the Old Testament and gain a lot of understanding here about this text. But I think that if we focus all of our learning about this passage on understanding, we're missing the point. Because it wasn't just understanding that the disciples needed in this moment. It was an experience of the presence of God. Have you ever been in that place before? Maybe in your faith journey? Where you have a lot of understanding? But, but the things that you're experiencing in your life or the changes that are happening in the world or around you are causing you to question all of that or are disorienting you and you just need an experience of the presence of God. 
we might be transformed, made new. My friends, I want you to not leave this place with just greater understanding. I want you to leave this place with an openness to experience the presence of God. Do you know that God wants you to experience his goodness and his glory? There are days when I don't believe that for myself. Who am I that God would notice me? Who am I? What is my pain? What is my suffering that God would come close to me? Who am I that, that, that I would have this kind of an experience? But, but this is what Jesus has come to do. The book of Hebrews is very clear about how Jesus has come as our high priest. He's the one who who's, brings us into the throne room of God. These experiences that only the greatest prophets and leaders of Israel had. Well, in Jesus, he, he brings that experience near to all of us. God wants us to come to the mountaintop. He wants us to experience his presence. He wants us to hear his voice. He wants us to be made new. The disciples weren't just standing there on the mountain Gaining understanding, taking notes. Oh, so Moses and Elijah are here. That must mean the law and the prophets. And it looks like Jesus' face is shining. What's happening? No, they were overwhelmed by the experience of the presence of God. It's what it means to walk with Jesus. To follow him on this hard road of, of, of picking up our cross and, and giving up our lives so that we might find true life in him. What we find along the way is we're standing in the glory of God. This is what God wants for each of us as well. I think about the people of Israel who were gathered there at the mountain as Moses went up to the top. They waited there. The scriptures said that it, the, the cloud on the mountain looked like a consuming fire. Moses is the only one who's allowed even to touch the mountain and go up. What, what's it like to stand at the base of the mountain? And wonder about what's happening there at the top. I wonder if some of us are maybe standing at the foot of a mountain. Of that mountain where God's inviting us into a deeper uh, intimacy with his presence. In, in, into a closer walk with him. In, into a place where Jesus' teachings about life and death, the death and resurrection, suddenly make sense. Because, because we're standing in the glory of God. I wonder if God's inviting us in. Now, if I was there at the foot of the mountain with the people of Israel, I would have been terrified. Don't touch the mountain. Don't go there. I wonder if the disciples, if they had known what was up at the top of the mountain, would they have gone? I don't know. The experience of the presence of God is always a fearful thing in Scripture. It's fear mixed with awe, but it is a powerful, overwhelming experience. I think the question for those of us who are standing at the foot of that mountain, maybe observing the presence of God from a distance is, will we go up the mountain? Will we receive God's invitation? Will we pick up the scriptures, not just out of a sense of obligation or of guilt or to get my Bible fix for the day, but because we truly believe that we'll meet the very presence of God in these words? Do we set aside time in prayer, expecting that God does want to meet with us, wants to minister to us, wants to bring healing to the deepest parts of our lives, the things that we may not even be fully aware of, our pain and our hurt. Do we believe, standing at the base of the mountain, will we go up?
When I was in seminary, uh, the year before you finish seminary, they start uh, what's called the call process. And if you're a student at North Park, that means that you meet with a series of interviews, group interviews, with the uh, superintendents, the regional leaders for the churches all across the United States and Canada. And the first night, it starts out with a dessert reception, dinner and dessert, uh, and, and we all meet in the room, and everybody's dressed up, of course, and every student gets a chance to, to share who they are, four minutes, whatever, um, and, and, and a little bit about our call to ministry. And I remember looking at that night and the interviews that I knew were scheduled for the coming week, and it was kind of like standing at the foot of a mountain, so to speak, and wondering, what, do I really want to go through this door here? Do I really want to accept this invitation? Because the experience that I may have this week may shape and change my lives in ways that I'm not quite sure that I'm ready for. I don't know what it's going to look like on the other side of, of, all, of all of this. We don't know what it's going to look like to go up the mountain and come back down. I can't see this from where I'm standing. We can have fear, not just of the presence of God, but fear of what God might do with us. How he might change us. How, how our neat and tidy understandings of God that we have so well packaged and understood and that seem to make so much sense here at the base of the mountain, how those things might be thrown into confusion. And yet I think that the mountain is the only place where we can really become who God has created us to be, where we can really find uh, the life that God has offered us. We need to travel up that mountain. But we're afraid, aren't we? The disciples were afraid too. And as I was studying this scripture passage this week, I was struck uh, by Matthew's account of this, because Matthew includes a little detail here that none of the other gospel writers do. He, he said that when the disciples heard the voice of God, they fell face down to the ground and they were terrified. They were exceedingly afraid. Uh, there's, there's, there's a, that's, that's what the literal translation is. They were exceedingly afraid. The other gospel writers say that too. But, but they, the, he felt, they fell to the ground and then listen to this. Then Jesus came over and he touched them. He touched them. In their fear, he touched them. And, and he says, get up. Do not be afraid. If you look through the book of Matthew, almost every single person at some point is afraid. And some people are greatly afraid in the same language that we see here. At the very beginning, Joseph is afraid to take Mary as his wife because she's pregnant and he doesn't know how. The crowds are afraid. Will we have enough? Will God provide? They're afraid even when, when Jesus heals a paralytic man. What is this power that we see? The disciples are afraid when they see Jesus walking on the water. Is this a ghost? The King Herod is, is afraid when he hears about this news about a baby king who's been born in Bethlehem. He's afraid when the crowds love John the Baptist. He throws him in prison. The religious leaders are afraid of Jesus' authority. The, the guards, the soldiers at the, at, the, uh, at the cross and at the empty tomb are afraid by the signs that they see around him. Everyone is afraid. Afraid of something. Afraid of someone that they can't wrap their heads around. Afraid of a power that seems greater than our own power. Afraid of things that we just can't quite understand. It's no wonder that we are afraid to go up the mountain. 
Because it's not only the presence of God, which on its own is, 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 a, is terrifying, but what will that presence do? How will that change my life? Will I be able to live the same way on the other side of this mountain? We get used to living in our little worlds where things are pretty well figured out. But God wants to give us more. So Jesus, Jesus is the only one in the book of Matthew who is never afraid. The only one who probably has the greatest reasons to be afraid because he knows what's going to happen. He's not afraid of the religious leaders and their authority. He's not afraid of the death that he knows is coming for him. He's not afraid of the cross. He's not afraid of the powers of Satan. He's not afraid of the demons that he sees around him. Jesus is not afraid. And he comes to his disciples and he touches them with compassion and care and love and understanding. He touches them. And just as Jesus touched, heals people in, in so many other stories, we see here Jesus healing his disciples and their fear. What happens then? The disciples open up their eyes and Scripture says that the, the moment had passed and all they saw was Jesus alone. God knew that they couldn't stand to be in the presence of God for too long, and so the moment passes by, but what's left is Jesus, the one in whom the fullness of God dwells, the glory of God, the healing power of God is there, and as they're fixated on his face, they find all that they need. It was a season in my life when I was at camp, talking a lot about camp this morning, uh, I was at camp and I was on staff there and there was a lot of stuff happening and God's spirit was at work in some powerful ways, but it was also stuff that I just, I wasn't familiar with. God woke me and Elena, we were just married, we woke me up, I saw, I think it was 4.03 a.m. on the clock for every night for like a week straight. God was waking us up in the middle of the night, calling us to pray. And there were people who were on our staff who were leaning into different spiritual gifts that I had no experience with myself. And, 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 and there, there were moments where God led, led us to do some things that seems kind of crazy to walk around the perimeter of camp at sunrise and, 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 and pray over this place. And, and, and I remember sitting in the chapel and looking up into the rafters of this chapel and I was like, God, this is uncharted territory for me. I don't understand what you're doing. I haven't experienced your presence or, or your spirit working in a way like this before. I was afraid. I was afraid. I was afraid of, of what this might mean for my life. I was afraid of, of just something new and something different. And I remember in that moment, just an overwhelming sense of peace, a sense of God holding my hand and saying, you're right, you, this is uncharted territory. You don't know what's happening, but I'm walking with you. So Jesus does for us, doesn't he? We can never know the fullness of God. If we ever think we have God figured out, you should be really afraid because any God that we can wrap our minds around is not a big enough God. Don't be afraid. The infinity of God, the power of God that will never fully wrap our lives or our minds around. Jesus walks with us. He holds our hand. He walks us through all of that and he says, I'll, I'll be there right with you. When your understanding is shaken, when you're afraid, when you're hurting, I'll be right with you to heal and to lift you up. So today I want to offer you an invitation. 
an invitation that I think comes from God, an invitation to experience the presence of God, an invitation to go up the mountain. Moses found exactly what he needed in the mountain, in his insecurity, his self-doubt, his inner turmoil when he's there at the burning bush. He finds the strength to carry on. He founds the instructions to lead God's people, even when he had no clue where they were headed. Elijah, in his depletion, in his fear, because Queen Jezebel was chasing him through the wilderness to kill him, he ran to the mountain of God, and there he sees the signs of God, but then he hears the still, small voice of God that gives him both instructions and strength to do what God has called him to do. The disciples, as they grappled with this strange teaching about a suffering Messiah who would actually die and yet somehow still save them, they found what they needed on the mountaintop in the presence of God. I wonder if we too might be wrestling with similar things. Inadequacy, self-doubt, confusion, depletion, fear. Maybe we're wrestling with the, the inability to see how our present suffering could possibly line up with the goodness of God. This passage tells me that the mountaintop is a place to work through those things. Would we come to the mountain of God? Our God can redeem all these things and change them into glory. The season of Lent is a journey from one mountain to another. Journey from the mountain of, of the transfiguration to the mountain of Calvary. Both mountains where the glory of God is made known and revealed in a powerful way. But the glory that shone from Jesus' face on the mountain of transfiguration is veiled on the mountain of Calvary. As Jesus hangs on the cross, what does it look like to the world? It looks like a, a state-run execution. It looks like defeat. It looks like suffering and pain. And yet for those who have eyes to see, the glory that was on the Mount of Transfiguration is bursting out from, from behind the cross, from behind the suffering and the pain. Would that be true in our own lives? That God's glory is bursting out amongst, amidst our pain and suffering. To the world, it looks like the end. But for those who have been to the mountain, for those who have experienced the presence of God, for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, they'll behold the glory of God bursting out behind it all. My friends, will we go to the mountain? Will we let Jesus touch us and heal our pain and our fear? Will we go to the mountain? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his peace, both today and forever. And may you walk in the assurance of that peace wherever today may take you. Amen.